and welcome to Mentality Meets, part of the Mindshift Forum 2022, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in your workplace. I'm Peter Larkham, mental health instructor and expert and your host for today. So this year, our theme is hope. What is it? What does it look like? Where do we go to find it? And so today, we're going to be talking with Victoria Maxwell. Now, in this session, we are going to discuss mental health triggers, the depths that it can take people. Is there any kind of specific turning point that ignites hope for recovery? And then we're going to finish off with words of hope for anyone who's currently suffering and words of hope for those who are supporting people. If you'd like to join the Mindshift Forum 2022, please sign up and take the hope assessment at www.peterlarkham.com and find the Mindshift Forum tab. For those of you watching on YouTube, please like this video, leave a comment and hit the subscribe button to get all the latest content to help you with your mental health journey. Anyway, let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with Victoria Maxwell. Victoria, I'd like to just take a moment and ask you to introduce yourself and just explain where in the world are you and why on earth have you taken this time to talk to me on Mentality Meets? I am uh, on the west coast of Canada uh, in a little place called Half Moon Bay in British Columbia. And why I have taken the time to do this is I think um, I can speak for myself, but also from speaking to others that hope uh, for me right now is extremely important, um, uh, considering all the um, things that we're going through. And uh, I know, uh, particularly for my own mental health, how important hope is in terms of sustaining recovery. And um, I guess in some ways, it's being able to have a discussion about it, not only to maybe share some of my own experience, but also um, to hopefully just have a good discussion and for me to maybe gain some um, in sort of inspiration and motivation as well. And um, yeah, I think that's probably it. Thank you. Um, and yes, I should probably introduce that because this year, as part of Mindshift 4 and the Mentality Moves, is all about hope. We're going to be talking about um, what does it look like? Can you uh, give it to other people? Can you go somewhere and find it? Uh, what, all kinds of in your community, in your family, in your friendship groups, and how we begin to maintain hope or become people of hope, or if you like, hope carriers. Um And can the hope that we have for recovery and for people who are struggling with mental health illnesses, can our hope rub off onto other people? And if we are struggling for ourselves, can we find people of hope and let it rub off onto us? That's kind of uh, where we're going on this. And it's going to be an entire year uh, of conversation. So we're going to talk to someone every month uh, through the podcast uh, and on video chat. Um, And... So, Victoria, I just want to ask, can you give us a little bit of an understanding around your diagnosis uh, of mental health illnesses, when it started, um, what you saw as some of the triggers at that time, um, but also if it is something that is coming back again and again and again, are you aware of triggers and feelings? And I've told, asked you literally 100 questions right there. Um, so let's kind of keep it nice and simple to uh, give us a little bit of a background of when you first realized that it was starting uh, and what you experienced at that time. For sure, for sure. So I'll give you a little bit of background about where I am and then I'll sort of backtrack. Um, so uh, years and years ago, I was diagnosed with um, rapid cycling, bipolar disorder, uh, with psychotic features, uh, generalized anxiety disorder. 
um, and disordered eating. And uh, I was an actor before I was diagnosed. It sort of derailed my career as it mental illness can sort of, you know, explode people's lives sometimes. And um, I, when I got back on track and I was working nine to five, I started writing and I wrote uh, for one person shows. And now for the last, I guess, 20 years or so, I've been touring them um, at conferences and events to give people a chance to more comfortably talk about mental illness and realize that recovery is possible, um, that um, living a good quality of life is possible, uh, despite um, even if you're experiencing symptoms. And um, so what happened when I, I can say when it started was um, way back in the womb, I'm just kidding, um, uh, but, but my mom was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, she was experiencing symptoms before I was uh, born, um, and it wasn't until I was about seven or eight when she was diagnosed. So it sort of runs in my family, and, and there's mental illness uh, on both sides of my family. Um, and I was quite an anxious child. Um, no one really... Um, sort of saw it. There was a lot of chaos and upheaval, um, a lot of trauma in my family, a lot of rage. Um, and I uh, progressively got more anxious and more depressed as I got older. Um, but I was a really good people pleaser and um, covered it up um, and sort of was part of the, you know, I was an only child. So I was sort of like the clown as well as the caretaker and the peacemaker. And so no one really knew how I was really feeling. Um, but internally, I was really suffering. And then uh, when I transitioned from uh, in Canada, we call it sort of high school into uh, university, is uh, I started dealing with disordered eating. So not full-blown bulimia, but a lot of restricting compulsive uh, exercising, um, dieting, all that kind of stuff. And it was a way really to control the anxiety and depression that I was experiencing. Um, and I guess I can talk about, I'll talk about the triggers in, a, a, in another section, but um, what continued to occur was I uh, graduated from university and the depression got worse and I wasn't really, I didn't notice too many of the manias and um, your audience probably knows, but manias are when I'm uh, would be feeling elated or euphoric, things like that. Um, my inhibitions would be gone, things like that. But what I really noticed was um, depression, suicidal ideation, and a lot of anxiety. Um, and as that got worse, um, I was really trying everything I, I knew to help myself. I was in therapy, but then I was trying a lot of new age kind of things and nothing was really doing it. Uh, but I continued on what I felt um, I needed to find uh, a spiritual path. So I went into meditation and um, and I guess the nature of depression is where things feel meaningless and hopeless. And I honestly felt like if I got to a place of enlightenment, whatever that meant, I would feel uh, peace. Um, what did happen is I went into a meditation uh, retreat and went into a psychosis. And this is in no way saying that meditation causes psychosis or mental illness. It certainly doesn't. Um, but I had, it was the first time I'd ever meditated. It was uh, a long retreat. It was very intense. And so psychosis was when I was hearing things and seeing things and believing things. And I was more or less like uh, in a very expanded state. Um, for those of 
people that are listening, it was also a Kundalini crisis. So you can look that up where there was lots of energy going through my body. Anyway, and I ended up in the psych ward. I was involuntarily committed. And uh, what happened was uh, I was diagnosed uh, with brief reactive psychosis and uh, released and then uh, didn't really do any follow-up. And it happened again. And I was formally diagnosed with what I had said earlier, uh, rapid cycling bipolar disorder, uh, but really just refused to accept the, the diagnosis. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with feeling that my experience, which to some degree was very personally profound because I had a lot of sort of insights spiritually, what I felt, as well as very psychotic as well, um, were really pathologized by the medical system. And so for about five years, I was in and out of the hospital, um, in and out of depressions, in and out of psychoses. And it wasn't really until I, I met a psychiatrist that was able to help me um, recognize that I could have both sort of spiritual transformation as well as mental illness. The two weren't um, separate. Um, and since then, um, it's just been uh, a process of getting to know what my symptoms are, getting to know what works specifically for me, um, what those warning signs are. And I call them sort of the fingerprint warning signs because everybody has very specific ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Some are similar and we have things in common, but some are very, very specific to each of us. Um, and so it's, and it, recovery has been hard won and it's been a chance for me to really get to know myself uh, and also learn to depend on my own internal resources. Um, but I have not done it alone. And I think that's one of the most important things. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm, I'm trying to absorb all that information because there's there's so much there. So we're talking about from the age of seven and kind of the chaos and kind of university and graduating and beginning to experience more of the suicidal ideation and the context of, of the depressive state of your uh, undiagnosed experiences at those times, um, the meditative retreat and the context of psychosis kicking in while on a meditative retreat, which in my mind, sorry, just blows my mind a little bit because that's almost what you're aiming for in the context of uh, spiritual engagement and I know. The, it's... The, the context. And I can imagine that at that time, that must have been incredibly confusing. Oh, it was. It was really, really confusing. And and then uh, being involuntarily uh, put into the, the, the mental health care, uh, getting the diagnosis, and then this... this process of about five years of a lot of ups and downs in the context of of your mental health and now I want to try and just unpick a little bit of the language around the psychotic episodes and uh, the depressive states and because it's it's language that we hear a lot but if you've never been there and you've never experienced it for yourself you're kind of thinking yeah I have a bad day too and and I think the, the context of it is is lost in interpretation. So can I ask you to, if you are able to, to talk through a period of time where you were at your deepest 
darkest place and what the symptoms were at that time um, outside of the context of it was depressive and it was psychotic. It's like, what, what was actually happening in the context? Does that yeah, and, and to be honest, I'm going through a bit of a, a storm right now, um, even though, you know, I can laugh and I can communicate and things like that. But there's this sort of what I call a wallpaper feeling of depression. Now, this isn't one of my darkest periods, um, but I know that there's sort of similarities to it. But in um, the really, really dark pits, um, it's there's it's a whole body experience where there's a total fatigue and malaise. And so no matter how much sleep I get uh, or how much exercise I do, um, I can't kickstart um, myself into getting out of that fatigue and a great psychiatrist I worked with called uh, called it a biological barrier. So there's a certain point in depression where maybe just before where it's very mild doing um, exercise and getting uh, light therapy and things like this or talk therapy can really sort of kickstart you and, and side sidestep that. But when it gets to be, you know, really severe depression, the biology of it uh, prevents those things from really helping, um, which is really hard because I, I don't know about other people, but I really tend to hold myself responsible. So even when I'm feeling severely depressed, I still can forget that it's not my fault. The, like, it, it, because most times I'm still doing all the things I need to do um, in order to not um, let myself get into a further depression. Um, and other things um, for me, uh, oversleeping. So really just wanting to hide into the covers, uh, under the covers, um, not wanting to connect with friends. Um, I really push myself to stay connected because I know how essential it is. Um, but isolation, which is a really common, um, a common symptom. Um, and I don't even like calling them symptoms because they're sort of just a result of um, a lot of times because it's just this feeling of um, uh, Tara Brack meditation teacher calls this trance of unworthiness. Um, and she's not speaking about clinical depression, but there is, there's this sort of like um, veneer or almost like, you know, how slugs have that slime over them of feeling just unlovable and not okay and shame. And so it's this, it's multi-layer. It's both on emotional, it's psychological. My thoughts start changing. So normally where my thoughts are fairly, you know, either they're neutral or they're quite positive, they become quite negative and exaggerated. Um, anyone who's familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, um, where they're sort of you know, you're exaggerating things. So you think it's never going to be okay, or you assume the worst catastrophizing things like that are really part of it. Um, and then uh, spiritually, where I feel very disconnected from um, the world. So the natural world where I don't feel safe, I don't feel um, part of uh, something larger than me. And I don't necessarily mean God. I just mean, you know, the world in general, where I feel like where I belong. Um, so it's a very difficult um, place to exist. Um, and 
uh, withstand, uh, you know, and tolerate. Uh, and a lot of it for recovery is about learning to just be with these really often intense, uh, uncomfortable experiences and sensations. I know. And now on a, on a really bad is, note. <laughs> I think the, the, just, just hearing it, it sounds exhausting. It is. And it sounds so lonely. Yeah. And there were a couple of phrases that you use about kind of the, the wallpaper or the veneer or the, the the slime on the slug, which I think was just brilliant. Um, but the, the image that instantly came to me when you were talking about that was, um, I, I, I apologise in advance for uh, cultural context here, but... Um, the, the Japanese environment with the sliding doors and the rice paper between is that you know there's stuff going on there, but you can't see it, you can't hear it properly, or kind of it's not tangible. It's like it's in another space, and it's, you're not a exactly part of it. it. And yeah. what I'm what I'm hearing in the context of of the symptoms and the experiences that you have in those times is this soul disconnect with almost everything you know um and i deliberately kind of use that that word of soul is that it's something in here it's not that people aren't right next to you or around you but it's it's the ability to engage with that and feel love acceptance warmth depth in the context of of just everything going on yeah there's a there's a flatness and um a lack of vitality and and an inability um so i mean i can sort of sometimes find blips of it and that's what i try to hang on to i go oh there there it is and you know and try to turn uh, the boat towards that um as often as possible with gratitude with um with uh, you know things that i know that bring me joy um but it's sort of a memory, a, a sort of like a very distant memory and uh, a wish that I can sort of reach out and and um, actually uh, touch that. And it's and that to me is part of what hope is, is saying, OK, I'm going on faith here. And maybe it's part of faith of saying I'm just hoping that that's still on the other side and I still have the ability to get there. So I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and go day by day and and be able to eventually sort of move back into that current and that flow of love. Because in your language just then you were talking about um, kind of faith and hope and a belief and I was talking to someone just yesterday and it was the context of belief versus fear or faith versus fear and it kind of just got me kind of twisted into that uh that that I think it's a bible verse that says faith is the evidence of things that are hoped for and there's no guarantee to it but you still hope for it but it's the faith of the belief that it, it's quite complicated. Um, but then the the fear steals that faith away from you. The 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 fear of the um, irrational expectation that appears real draws you away from the ability to have faith and have that hope. And 
The question that, that I want to try and understand and try and explore with you is, is there a moment in the context of mental health illnesses where, where you're really struggling in that place? And because you, you said it's almost like your brain begins to begins to have something. It's almost tangible. Um, and I was talking to my aunt about this, who, uh, bless her, is getting to the point where she fairly regularly goes, oh, it's, 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 oh, it's, it's like she knows. She, she, there's something in her brain that knows what she's wanting to say, but she's like, I, I can't get yeah, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, it was that feeling that you were giving of, of kind of your brain longing to get back to that place of recovery, knowing that it's possible. And I suppose kind of the, the question is, is there a tangible turning point for you? Is there a moment, almost like a light bulb moment, where you're like, ah, I know recovery is on its way. I know that I've turned that corner. Or or is there not? And I, I, I yeah, what, what, what's Yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, I think there are many turning points right? Turning many different corners, um, because it's not that linear process. Um, and I think it was something that you said about um, being able to sort of uh, notice how fear is taking away uh, that energy of faith or stamina or um, encouragement or anything like that. And and so right now I'm dealing with an intense amount of anxiety and it's physical as well. So it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, where you focus on the love and not the fear and things like that, or how that, you know, it's, they, they're, it's very difficult for them to coexist. Um, but when it's so physical, which is often the case in clinical sort of diagnosis, it's, uh, sometimes difficult to bring that self-compassion or that that love forward, whether it's uh, um, self-compassion or letting it in from other people. Not that it's impossible, but where that turning point happens often is when I'm with other people. And so it's sometimes what they say, but a lot of times it's not necessarily what people say but it's that I'm in conversation with them and I feel seen or validated or we're just in conversation and I forget myself and I'm not navel gazing anymore. Um, all of a sudden I find myself uh, laughing and I haven't laughed in a long time. And that gives me a sense of, oh, okay, okay, I'm back. I, I can be myself. I, I like that. That's me. That's me. Okay. And it might go away. It might go away in a millisecond, but it gives me that sense that I can have hope that it's going, it, there is something there. There is something to keep going. And I know um, I love Winston Churchill's saying of when you're going through hell, just keep going. And to me, that's, that's something what it is, is that, uh, having those little experiences are are the turning points. Um, I wish it was something simple where a light switch um, flipped. Recently, I did have an experience like that where I really just sort of seemed to change my mind and let things come in. Um, and 
I, I honestly, I'm not sure if what it was, was that I did that. And I then suppressed all my feelings because then about three weeks later, all this stuff came bouncing back. Um, so I know it's a combination of my own um, effort, my own ability to use my will in a positive way, and also allow um, life to meet me um, halfway so that it's not all my responsibility. Um, because I think that's part of what's really difficult is that feeling when you're so depressed and so anxious that you're working so hard and nothing is working and it's all my fault. And then it just becomes this ball of um, unhappiness and, and disappointment. And uh, yes. yeah. And I think, I think there's something so precious about what you've just said about that, that when you're in that place, it's the self-blame and the self-loathing and the shame. Um, but also what you then said about the recovery is that the recovery isn't just down to you. It's a combined effort from a lot of people. And I know that there are a lot of people who listen to Mentality Meets who are the supporters of those who are struggling with their mental health. And we're going to come back to you guys uh, in a little bit. Um, but as we've kind of been talking about all of this... Um, I want to try and understand time frames because the the time frame for me of sickness is days, possibly weeks, you know. Um, in fact, just after Christmas, uh, yes, we are in January, just to remind everyone, January Christmas has just happened. Um, and on December the 27th, my three boys all were sick in the night um, and then sick for the day. And to be honest, it was probably one of the best things that happened to our family because we shut down and just sat on the sofa and did nothing like for a day and a half. And it was just epic. But after that day and a half, everyone was okay. We we're all back to eating and engaging with going out for walks. And, and it was like, boom, done. And there is something in my head, therefore, that thinks, oh, mental health illnesses. It's just a short term thing, isn't it? And I want to just ask, in the context of feeling the, the symptoms beginning, to the depths, to the recovery, what time frame are we talking about here? You know, I wish I had a better answer, a more hopeful answer, and a more consistent answer. Um, because when I've had, because I still have sort of these uh, reoccurrences, and sometimes the reoccurrences do sort of clear up in a week because it's mild. Um, the symptoms are mild. I'm able to sort of readjust things and I get back to sort of my good baseline fairly quickly. Other times, depending on circumstances or other things that I may not even be aware of, it takes longer, particularly I think when someone's first diagnosed and um, they've been battling something uh, for a long time or for myself, like right now where I've got a lot of life stressors and um, there's other sort of a reoccurrence of quite severe anxiety. Um, uh, it takes a lot longer. And um, the interesting thing is some parts of my life uh, can feel better before other parts of my life can feel better. Um, so my work may be going well, uh, but perhaps um, physically I'm still feeling really fatigued. So it's this fine balancing act. I, I would say that 
you know, the idea like a headache where you take an aspirin and then, you know, in a couple of hours or if you have a migraine in a few days, you start to feel well again. Um, it's I think it's unrealistic and it's it's um, unfortunate to put that picture to to people. And I don't think people do. I just think that that's sort of our point of reference because we talk so much about physical illnesses. Um, and with uh, with mental health issues, I think it's very uh, um, influenced also by a person's, uh, like where they are in terms of readiness to accept the illness. Um, and loved ones probably really know this if, they're, if they love someone who is just not accepting that they have any difficulty at all. And so they're not proactively involved in their own care. Um, symptoms can prolong for much longer. If people um, uh, who need medication aren't taking medication, um, symptoms can come back. Um, so for me, I mean, it really, when I got really involved in my um, care, it probably took, um, I, I'd say a couple of years to really get back on my feet. Um, I started feeling better um, within probably six months or so. Um, but then with reoccurrences, it really varies. It can take sometimes six weeks. It can sometimes say three months. Um, it's, it's really variable and it, and it, and it's up and down. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't think it's necessarily the same for anyone because everybody's, uh, condition is so, um, unique to each person. Mental ill health costs UK employers around £1,700 per team member each year. That's a staggering £45 billion every year. Despite a general awareness that mental health is more of a problem than ever, most people have no idea what to do. This is where we can help. Mentality is a one-hour video course equipping your staff to spot the signs of poor mental health and take action. Invest in your people. From the cleaner to the CEO, because every person, whoever they are, can be affected. So, in answer to the question, there isn't an answer. It, it's too. It's too varied. I was going to say, like that was a very long-winded question, and I and I think I made sense to the point where it said, "Yeah, there really isn't any standard answer." No. Um, I, and I th and I guess if anything, I would say that it probably takes longer than people want. Yes, and I think there's something brilliantly refreshing with the truth of that answer. Yeah, it's not what people want to hear, but it's. But I think also in the when we begin to think about the context of the workplace and um, the return to work context and people struggling with their mental health, getting, getting signed off work, getting a diagnosis of mental health illnesses. And then the time that it takes for them to get, if as you like back on their feet, I'm trying to think of different phases because it, language is a weird one, but um, getting back to a place where they feel like they were before Illness. And I think that's really important because you can recover in part, but coming back to where you were before, that, that's a long time period, isn't it? Um, it can be, yeah. And so in the context of that, we then got what recovery looks like and is 
recovery sustainable? Now, I ask that deliberately because I know that for yourself, there have been good times and then it's gone down and it's come back and it's gone down and it's gone back. And there's something in my head that wants to believe. And I don't know whether or not this is this is a, a kind of I want this as a hope. But the reality is, is far from it is. Firstly, do you find that episodes tend to be shorter now that you understand the recovery cycle? Um, and so before, like two years now, six months or six weeks or that it, it hasn't lasted that same context of time uh, for recovery. But also it's the sustainable context because I know common cold that I will get a common cold again in the future. And uh, that's just a given. Because if I were to say, no, never going to get a common cold, I'm hoping people would look at me and go, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no. But with mental health illnesses, I want to believe that there is a sustainable recovery context where there isn't that constant cycle of better, worse, better, worse. Um, And I don't know... I don't really know what I'm what I'm trying to say. It's the sustainability. Yeah, and I think also it depends on what um, conditions you're talking about as well, um, and and the severity of it. And so, it, similar to the answer before, is that it, it there is no standard answer. But what I do believe is that people can and I can I can say for myself where, um, particularly for my bipolar disorder. Um, it goes into the background uh, much more than it used to, where it's sort of like instead of the the tail wagging the dog, um, that's no longer happening. Um, and anxiety for many, many years for me um, was very much in the background. I wouldn't even really, I mean, I might have been, I, I maybe was always a type A personality and anxious in, to some degree, but not sort of experiencing anxiety attacks or anything like that. Um, currently I'm experiencing anxiety and, um, you know, I'm in talks with my psychiatrist right now to sort of figure out, um, what's, what's the, the sort of being the trigger. Um, but generally I see a trajectory, uh, of it going up and sustaining itself, especially with a certain awareness and consciousness of, um, the tools that keep me well. Um, but within that there, the, uh, if I have episodes, they're more mild. So if I have, um, so I know that in you know November and January are often times where I'll feel a bit blue, but I'll you know make sure I have my light uh, therapy. I'll have my vitamin D, um, things like that. And so I might expect it. And sometimes the expectation of it lessens the actual experience of it. Um, and, and also gives me more of a sense of empowerment because I, I can go, oh yeah, of course this is happening, you know, all right, it'll pass, not a big deal. Um, as opposed to fighting it and getting all scared that, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. And I think that's why in the beginning for people, because they're not familiar with these symptoms, they don't know if it's going to get better. It's so much more frightening. Um, and so (laughs) ironically, the more, episodes you've had you go and the more that you've had sort of come through them you go oh yeah I've been through this oh okay yeah oh yeah this one's really bad oh but I've been through this before too um and so um I think managing them can become very uh we can be very skilled at it um and 
episodes can get much for me have gotten much uh, less. Uh, so those, I, I would say that that's what I'm, whether they completely disappear. Um, I certainly haven't had many manias at all. Um, psychoses, I've had very, very few, maybe just um, like two after the main ones before I was diagnosed. Um, and But so most of it, the struggle has been um, with some depression and anxiety. Um, and both of those uh, particularly with the depression, have gotten um, uh, better, much better over the years. Um, and being able to sustain a quality of life has been easier. And I think that's that for me is where the hope is. That's what is hopeful. Now, um, the, the, the thing to also acknowledge in the context of what you've just said is the more episodes you have, <laughs> the easier it becomes um, I know and I would say like more the more experience <laughs> and maybe the more awareness around those episodes which is sort of funny right I know it's it's like um the the, the language again coming back to the context of language and understanding that um because one person explained to me that kind of when I was first diagnosed I had anxiety and it was this thing that uh, kind of possessed me almost um and and they said now i experience anxiety and it no longer overtakes me but i understand that it's there and i understand that i i encounter it uh on a, a regular semi regular basis but it does like you say it doesn't have the same hold over me that it, it once had it's sort of that i think people may have heard where um my mental illness doesn't define me anymore yes um, and there may be times where I do, I feel very identified with it and it is all encompassing and then I'm able to move out of it. But generally speaking, I don't necessarily see myself as someone who, ha- who is mental illness. I'm someone who has a mental health condition, just like I have hazel eyes. I'm five, six. I, you know, I have a dog, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. Oh, I, I've, Absolutely love this conversation, Victoria. And I have two questions that I want to finish on. Um, if you'll just take a moment and explore this with me. So um, the whole year is going to be about hope. And I want to ask, are there any words of hope that you can give to anybody who is listening to this episode who is in that place at the moment? And, and you were saying before about being in the storm Um but being in that place of really struggling with their mental health. And are there any words of of hope that you can give to them? Hang on. Just hang on. Hang on to anything that gives you a sense of... um, I I, I don't know how to describe it. Of... of, here and now and solidity um because it's as i mean cliches are cliches because there's truth in them um because there is light at the end of the tunnel um the scary part is you don't know when you're going to meet that light um and really lean on the people around you when you need to um don't go this alone it's much more difficult to do this alone um, and and really know that that 
that strength within you is still within you, even when you don't feel it. Like that is the part that I think is so critical is that we oftentimes mental health, uh, mental illness um, can grind down that belief, belief in ourselves to think that all there is are outside supports. And those outside supports, like I just said, are really important, but you still have that uh, internal strength and um, also really reminding yourself that you're worth recovery and you're worth fighting for. And so please, please, please just keep um, putting one foot in front of the other, um, even though it's really, really hard. Um, because I know, I know from personal experience, I know from just the last couple of days how hard it can be. Um, but uh, there is much to be gained by just keeping on and uh, and it gets easier. It really, it really does get easier and it gets better. It gets better. Because like they say, the one thing that's constant is change. And so if you're feeling bad, that means you're you're close to feeling better again, right? Because <laughs> it's gonna change. <laughs> and I mean, even even in that, there's there's hope, isn't there? Um, yeah. and the the final uh, question I want to ask you is are there any words of hope that you can give to anyone who is listening to this episode who is supporting someone, supporting a family member, a friend or a loved one, um, who may even be getting to the point of having nothing left to give? Yeah, yeah exhaustion. Is there any word of yeah. hope that you can give to them? I, to some degree, it's almost similar. I would say, don't do this alone. Reach out to support groups, do self-care, get good boundaries. Um, know that, um, especially if you're a parent of an adult child, um, do not take this on as uh, your fault or feeling responsible. Um and, you know, it wasn't something that I did as a parent. Did I do something wrong? What could I have done better? Um, really letting go of that. Um, a lot, I think, is like when you said, when people are really feeling spent, um, because honestly, um, I, I have a line in my play where um, uh, depression has a, a cutthroat way of dismantling empathy. And it does, right? It's not always easy to support someone who's really severely depressed or really severely mentally ill. It doesn't mean that we don't love them. It just means that we have a certain limit to our capacity and really honor that, really honor that and just know that that's totally human and totally natural. And it doesn't make you uh, a less loving person. Um, and with that information, find the things that you need to do in order to support yourself um, so that you can be there for others when you need to be. Victoria, thank you. Oh, thank welcome. you so much for your oh, time. You're, and... you're such a light. You're such a light. I'm so excited that you've got this show and stuff. It's so fabulous. Thank you. And it's it's so exciting to explore the context and the world of mental health and mental health illnesses. Um, and I'm really excited to see what this year brings. Um, Me too. And the, I think to, to just wrap it all up and just to Victoria say thank you so much uh, to you for your time is I just want to end with a, a phrase that I hear again and again and again, which is that there is 
hope. There is always hope. No matter how desperate you feel. Um, and find the people around you who can ignite it within you. Find those hope holders. Yes, hope holders. I like it. Uh, we might hashtag that. Uh, so okay. if you see hope holders hashtagging around, we yeah. started it. You and me. Yeah, like it. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what an amazing session. Exploring the context of mental health symptoms and the impact that they can have on people daily. And also remembering that hope for recovery and that even when we feel like hope is lost, we can find those hope holders or the people of hope. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode of Mentality Meets. And no matter where you are on your mental health journey, you can find plenty of content and information about our resources at peterlarkham.com, including one of our mental health courses for you or your business. And please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you can find our entire back catalogue of conversations with mental health leaders and experts. If you want to spread the word, drop us a review on the podcast app and share this with your friends. Thanks again for joining us for Mentality Meets, conversations that explore mental health stories and strategies to help leaders like you change the culture of mental health in your workplace.